and welcome to Braving the Way. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Fletcher, also known as Dr. Fletch. I have spent the last two decades working in the field of mental health, and I have spent the last 10 years working on my own healing, recovering from sex trafficking and dissociative identity disorder, formerly known as multiple personality disorder. Here on Braving the Way, we are going to have honest, authentic, and brave conversations about all things mental health. I'll share aspects of my personal journey with you, and I'll share some mental health tips and resources that I have acquired along the way and introduce you to some inspiring guests who want to share their own mental health journeys with you. My mission with this podcast is to bring hope, love, and inspiration to the world by sharing my lived and professional experience with mental health and to be a guide and a role model for others. I want you to feel seen, heard, and validated in your human experience, and I want all of us to work together to create emotional safety for others to be able to talk openly and freely about mental health because we all live with it. There is absolutely no health without mental health. So thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself, and joining me on Braving the Way. I am so thankful that you exist. Brave on! Well, welcome back to Braving the Way. I'm super excited to have two of my now dear friends here with us who actually joined us on season one. So we have the founder of An Infinite Mind, Jamie Pollock, and author and survivor, Larry Rule, who's also an incredible artist. Both of them appeared on Braving the Way um, season one. Jamie was on episode two, talking about... um, living with dissociative identities and how she came to find an infinite mind and created that. And Larry and I had a discussion around DID grief, holidays, boundaries, and the journey. And so they're both joining today. And we're kind of going to, we're going to have an authentic, open, vulnerable conversation post the Healing Together conference, which just occurred in February of 2023, um, just last month. Actually, this weekend right now is actually one month post conference. And we know that the conference, as healing as it is, um, bring can bring up a lot of more layers to the healing journey. So in full and authentic transparency, I have been working through something actually since the conference, but it's been multi-layered and um, I'm not in the greatest place. Now, greatest place doesn't mean in a terrible place, but just having to work through more layers than I had anticipated. And I think it's a reminder that sometimes in the journey, there are bumps in the road we cannot see. And that is why it is even more important to have um, the Healing Together community. And before we dive in, Jamie, I just want to say I am so excited for you and the community that you have created through an infinite mind. You had over 643 people there. Um, you can remind the audience if it was 13 to 18 countries represented and um, a reporter for the, from the New York Times Magazine. I mean, that's huge. You have put your whole heart and soul into developing this community. And um, I'm certainly in awe of you and your board and everything you've created. And I would have never connected or met Larry, who has become such a good friend and support in my own life, um, had you not started that community. So I'm blessed to have you both here and we can take this in any direction we want to go and whoever wants to dive in. And I want to say, because there's three of us, we might overlap with each other talking and our and our listeners, I think, will will grant us some grace. Yes. Well, and I just want to say thank you for that. And um, yeah, we had about 650 people and it was, I think the final count was 16 countries maybe represented. Wow. But I just want to say that the, that the main 
purpose and beauty of this conference is connections like this. It's about building community. The sessions are great and they're really helpful, but I think the true beauty and the true healing comes from these relationships because I wouldn't have met the both of you either. I mean, I met both of you through the conference as well. A lot of the people that I call my dearest friends are people that I've met through the conference. So I'm glad to see that these relationships are forming and they're building and continuing to grow. It makes me very happy. Awesome. Yeah. How about for you, Larry? Yeah, I was just thinking about how, um, you know, post-conference, like uh, the people that reached out. And what's so interesting is I've there are people that send me messages on Instagram specifically uh, that have never been to the conference that only know uh, you from the podcast or have met me through being on your podcast. And then there's the other people that um, that did the virtual conference and in person. But it's really amazing to hear how many people reach out with the same message saying, I really hope to be brave enough to attend the conference next year. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's so moving to hear that because you know that there are people aware of the conference. You know that there are people that you know want to try, maybe not ready. But I think that the virtual aspect of the conference really, really, really opens things up for so many other people that just cannot face showing up a person yet. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very talk about community. It's like, you know, communities can be built in so many different ways and, mm-hmm. and what Jamie's done and having to bring in the virtual aspect because of COVID proved to be such an incredible gift for so many people. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really great to see in the, the, the app that we use this year has a message board feature in it where people can connect whether you're virtual or in person and um, the conference is still, the recessions are still viewable for the next, you know, three weeks or so, give or take. And so I've been watching the message board just to keep an eye on things. And the communities that are still growing from the message boards, people that met virtually or in person have now made their own Facebook groups and are now making their own meetups in the areas in which they live. And mm-hmm. so even people that weren't there in person have now been able to bond and connect with people because, you know, there's groups that people who live in Detroit and people who live in North Carolina mm-hmm. and BIPOC individuals. And there's all these different groups that have now formed. It's been so lovely to see. So even if you are coming virtually, there was still an opportunity to connect and make these amazing bonds and groups. Yeah. Just, I am, I get so happy when I go on there and I see this because that's exactly what we wanted. Yeah. And I really love the app that you used this year because um, for a couple of reasons, one, it felt very secure and safe to know that the community is there and accessible for whatever. Like if you weren't ready to sit down and watch a session, even if you're in person, I know for me, like I had to miss some because I needed to take care of myself after the keynote, but I could go back and watch them later. Um, and also just an opportunity to respond to questions that I may not have been able to respond to in the moment. And um, I think that's true for all of us, whether we were speakers or not. I think it provided a nice additional layer to the support system. Um, and it helped the people in person be able to connect with the people that only were able to attend virtually. Because I also got a lot of messages that were um, through the app or Instagram about the people that attended um, virtually. And, um, actually another aspect that I wanted to bring up is this idea of boundaries and self-care. Um, I think that's one of the best compliments I got actually from the keynote was, uh, somebody had said, uh, really admire your ability to share your boundaries and, um, hold those and role model those. And, um, this week I had a lot of people reach out to me for whatever reason, there's just a lot of energy going on right now. 
And I simply said, I would love to connect with you. Now is not the time. I'm working through something really deep with my parts right now, but I hope that we're able to connect in the future. Um, you know, and in the past before recovery, I don't know that I would have had um, the boundaries to be able to do that. I might have just, you know, kind of quote unquote, taken care of somebody else before putting my parts first. But I think that's an important message that we all need to send is you can be super helpful and super connected in community. And then you also need to know when you need to... Um, have a pause, like a sacred pause, just to to check in with your yourself or your closest few. Um, so I'm not sure if either one of you have any thoughts on that, or if you've had to do that yourself, you know, because Jamie, I'm sure you get, and Larry, I know you do, you know, messages from all over the world a lot of the time. And because an infinite mind is one of the only majorly known mental health resources for DID, I can't imagine, and I know you have a board of people, but I can't imagine what that's like, the influx of whatever it is, emails or messages through Facebook and things like that. Yeah, we do get a lot, a lot of emails, um, a lot of great messages and comments. It's usually a lot of praise and appreciation and sharing stories of what they've accomplished since the conference, which is usually the best. And I do have an amazing board of directors. I think they're on a podcast of yours mm -hmm. um, last um, coming up or last week they were. Um, and so they, the emails get filtered to different departments as well. But yeah, I mean, I, you just have to know and feel comfortable with, like you said it perfectly, like, yes, I'm happy to help you, but this is the limitations of how I can help. I'm not a clinician. And even mm -hmm. if we were, even if I was a clinician and we do have clinicians on the board, that is not the role in which we are to mm -hmm. be. So we're happy to listen, but at the same time, you know, we can't be your therapist. So mm -hmm. typically, you know, I welcome all, all emails and all conversation, but sometimes it's just a thank you for sharing. I appreciate you trusting me with this story. And if you need more resources here, some places you could go. It's just a, a matter, I think, of being receptive and respectful of the person mm -hmm. taking the, the brave step to reach out and connect, but also mm -hmm. respecting what you can and can't do. Mm -hmm. And it's safe for you and safe for them. So I kind of welcome, I accept. And then if I need to, I help them find the resources they need, mm -hmm. but you really do have to respect your boundaries and be safe and aware of theirs as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. For sure. How about you, Larry? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, I was thinking about how, especially after the uh, session that I did um, about sex and being a sexual being, of how many people were asking for advice, but I made it clear that I come to you as a peer only, mm -hmm. that I am not a therapist. And, you know, Jamie has been so helpful to me from day one on this, of just saying I, I can have conversations as a peer, peer to peer, mm -hmm. but I can't... Um, I'm not a therapist. And, and sometimes you just have to say, you know, please don't share details or, you know, mm -hmm. just sort of maintain the boundary. Um, the other, but the other side of that, I think, um, has been the people that have reached out and have asked me first, if I would, I get choked up talking about this. No surprise. Jamie's going to say, she knows I cry all the time, but um, <laughs> what you're going to no, cry people that reach out and have said, can I show you the artwork I created as a result of your session? Mm -hmm. And to me, I, it's like, I, it's like the biggest gift because it's, it's exactly, um, you know, I think it, it, it helps me, it helps me so much um, to see what other people are doing um, to see something that resonates. Um, and that's like such an incredible balance for me of when somebody reaches out and says, I, I want to give you a trigger warning. Mm -hmm. I want to let you know that 
you know, that what I'd like to share might be difficult. And um, I always say when it comes to art, I'm like, bring it on. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. thank you for the trigger warning. Bring it on. Mm -hmm. And I have been met with some of the most moving messages that I think I've ever received in my Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. It's always so, I, and I think people don't realize, um, cause I think sometimes people do look to us and I, I know I've had these comments made to me and I'm sure the two of you have too. <clears throat> For those of us that are out with our voice in public, we are role models, whether we want to be or not. And sometimes people look to us like we have it all together or that we don't still struggle, um, when we know that that's not true. Um, and also, um, that we also feel validated when they share with us. Because I, I don't know for both of you, but I know for me, um, when somebody shares something with me, I'm like, oh, this is also a reminder that I am not alone. Um, you know, and, and it's just um, that human to human connection. And I love what you're talking about, Larry, in terms of being a peer, because even though I am a therapist, and actually I'm moving away from that role now, um, but in this new program that I'm developing through Altercology, the Braving the Way Dissociative Community Mentorship Program, I, you know, somebody asked me, is like, is Dr. Fletcher running this? And I said, nope, <laughs> this is Adrian as your peer. And we're not digging up trauma and I'm not providing psychological feedback. We are having fun together, doing art, music, journaling, connecting, and talking about what it's like to live with DID and, um, you know, give our littles an opportunity to share whatever it is, their artwork, their things that are special to them. Um, and this is not me me being your, your therapist. And I am so excited for that, um, you know, mm-hmm. to, to cultivate a, a smaller piece of community, um, and to have some fun and just have a light, lighthearted conversations, um, and the joys and aspects, um, of some of the things behind the scenes of DID that some people don't feel comfortable sharing, like talking about their littles and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually have a few questions from the community um, because, you know, I'm always all about asking people like, what do they want to know? And I think that helps because it gives us an idea of what people are looking for. So I mentioned on Instagram, the two of you were coming back. um, And so we'll just kind of go through some of the the questions and either one of you can kind of dive in. Okay, go for it. All right. Ready? I'm a hand on the buzzer. All right. For $200. It's like Jeopardy. I'm just kidding. Oh, Larry. And now I see your, your silly response. Larry sent a question in. Which is what? What's your question? Larry's question is when is Larry going to get a haircut? (laughs) (laughs) What is the answer for that? Yeah, Larry. You know, I mean, I've been loyal to my haircutter for so long, but now I'm in Portugal. I might have to go get it trimmed because I am looking really like, uh, like I'm from the Beatles. So I need to deal with that. Yeah. All right. Got it. Well, if you're going to live in Portugal full time, you might want to find yourself a Portugal hair person. You're right. You're right. Barber. Or what do they call them? Portugal barber. Bar- 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 <laughs> sure, <I like> By <laughs> attempt at Spanish, that's all I know. Exactly. It's perfect. Yeah. All right. What does healing look like for each of you? Ooh. Go first, Larry. Sure. Um, <laughs> That is actually a difficult question because if I have, you know, post-conference, I've had some, uh, some challenges come up that were very, very unexpected. So this is a, this is a question that's hitting me, you know, quite hard right now uh, because people have asked me, what are you doing for self-care? And I really struggle with that because I'm, it's just not my natural go-to. And I even find, hear myself stammering to answer. So I think that healing for me is definitely a creative process, um, engaging in, either collage work or, you know, creating my creepy figures or, or burning something, um, 
but I would say also uh, given some un recent unraveling that um, talking to my community, the people that I'm closest to, where I don't have to explain certain things, where it's just understood in a few words, to me, I think that's really in these last couple of weeks has really been the core of, of how I would identify healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. How about but I, you, I agree. I don't think healing is definite. I don't think healing is a lin linear mm -hmm. thing at all. I think for me, the healing has looked, has always been forward, but sometimes yeah. it's been big steps. Sometimes it's been little steps. And, you know, and at different, I think during different phases of my life, different life experiences have really shown me where areas of healing still need to be. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think like, oh, I'm healed. This is what healing looks like. I think healing is a lifelong journey just because as I get to different ages of my life, that maybe remind me of that's how old this person was when they died, or that's how old this person was when this happened. Or when mm -hmm. I see my nieces or nephews hit a certain age, I'm like, oh, that's how old I was when this happened. And I can't, I can't imagine that correlation. So it brings up new memories and it brings up new experiences and feelings, which bring me back to therapy to process. But I kind of gauge my healing as how disruptive these events are to my daily being. So that I look back at the beginning of my therapy when, you know, these kind of situations or memories would take me out for the day and cause a big spiral of negativity and, and, and issues and, and functioning issues. And now, you know, most days when these kind of situations or triggers or flashbacks come back, it's like a blip. Like I know the tools and I know the resources and I know how to navigate through them. So it's like a trip, like a little stumble and not like a full spiral down the side of the mountain kind of a thing. And that's kind of what healing to me looks like is that I don't think I'll ever not remember that this stuff happened and have it not affect me because I'm a human being. And of course it's always going to affect me, but yeah. I think it's just the level and intensity of the, of it affecting me is what I, I feel like the healing really is. Yeah. I like that. And I would say for myself, um, you know, I think curveballs and things that are unanticipated, I think you're right. You don't really know which direction or how intense it's actually going to be. And I think in my own healing journey, sometimes I like to think like, oh, this one's not going to bother me that much. And then I'm like, oh, man, mother, uh, you know, and all the things like last week I was like, I had this moment. And I get pissed when people have this moment. Not that I'm like judging them, but I don't like when I go down the path of like fucking DID, like I'm so pissed. Um, so I quickly came out of that. Um, but sometimes I do, I still get knocked out. And this, this last thing that I'm navigating that I will talk eventually about publicly, cause that's what I do. I work through something and then I share it because I know it eventually helps someone else. But, um, you know, this one hit me harder than I anticipated. So I was like, okay, well, these are my options for recovery. I could totally go in one direction and go back to all old self-destructive <laughs> measures, or I could look at it as like, you just put nine and a half years of fucking healing and you know exactly what tools all parts of you need. And, you know, it is, it comes back to community, reaching out for support um, and putting things in place and also a level of self-love and self-compassion. And I want to come up with a new term around self-love because I think it should be parts love or alter love or something, right? Yeah. That idea of love and love. 
Yeah. Just idea of love and respect for all parts without judgment, without shame, because if shame takes over, it's, it's not good for any part. Right. Um, and, and an acknowledgement for the protector parts to do what they need to do in new safe ways versus the old ways. Um, and so I think healing for each of us, whether it's the three of us or for the community is really knowing who's in your support system. What resources do you have? If you don't have resources, where can you find them? Whether they're paid or free, whatever that might be, books, podcasts, reaching out, um, you know, putting yourself in community, going to meetings, whatever that might be, depending on the struggle um, and recognizing that these things will happen. You know, I think sometimes whether people live with DID or not, just from a therapeutic standpoint, people think there's a finish line. I must get to here. And if I fall backwards or if something happens, now I've lost all of my progress, which isn't true. It's actually an opportunity for another layer of healing if you're willing to look at it that way. Um, and so that's just kind of my my take on that. But there's just sometimes where it's just not fun. And I think just, you know... Um, I am all about light, love, and rainbows. And in the last week, Larry checked in on me. He said, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm wearing all black and listening to Billie Eilish. You know, and he's like, good. I said, well, I'm allowing myself to be mad. <laughs> you know, you just have to take it where, wherever it is. But just allowing space for all feelings is so important without judgment. I really like right. that. And I, and I only think it's important, too, to say that you don't have to always love having DID. I don't think that's written anywhere. There are times when you can be really angry that you have DID mm-hmm. and also appreciate the gift that it is at the same time. Yep. I mean, there's definitely parts um, of my life, not parts of my system, but parts of my life and situations that happen that I do get angry that I have DID, mm-hmm. not necessarily at my parts, maybe particularly, but just at this, the life situations that gave me DID. Mm-hmm. And then I'm angry that I have to learn to live this life with having DID. So I think it's okay to be angry mm-hmm. and even be angry at some parts because I did some inappropriate behavior, but doesn't mean that you are angry and dis. I think it's healthy to be angry with your parts and angry that you have DID, but also work through that and know mm-hmm. that like you would be angry with a friend or angry with a child, that there's issues and reasons why these behaviors are occurring. Mm-hmm. And okay, so now we need to use that as a learning tool. But I think to say that, to be a good person with DID, you have to love all your parts and love DID and love and be happy and beautiful all the time mm-hmm. is unrealistic. And I think unfair to make people think those are the expectations to mm-hmm. live up to, you know, I, I mean, I'm in, I'm in a place with enough therapy now that I do appreciate my, what DID has done for me. And I do have a really good relationship with my parts and we're working together and we're working functionally and safe and, and all those good things. Mm-hmm. But there are still days where I'm like, really, this really the really and I get really mad and Mm -hmm. we have a conversation like okay well this isn't appropriate and what do we need to do to talk about it I think that that's an always thing when you have DID yep I would agree how about for you Larry any thoughts on that yeah you know it's so funny I think that you know you you both might laugh (laughs) at this but you know I think that sometimes when um when I still have an amnesiac moment um, it really rattles me. It really sort of takes me down and I can get into that headspace where I'd be like, even the next day, am I questioning? I'm like, I'm like, why did, why did that have to happen again? Why did that have to happen again? And I think as time goes on and Jamie says this great, it's like, you know, I don't always have to love it. Mm-hmm. Especially, I think that, um, especially it's the reminder of what happened that got me there. Mm-hmm. So I think that, 
you know, it's a, it's a, it can be a daily acceptance for a lot of us mm-hmm. of, uh, of honoring the, the initial experience that happened um, and what we live with now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's an incredible part of the healing process, but I too can sometimes find myself like, like, damn it. Like, why does, you know, why did I just have to lose that time? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it's, diff- it, it's still even difficult to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because that's how it shows up for me still sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, so this question is, you all looked so relaxed with each other. How did you each first meet? I think they're referring to the little photo of the three of us um, in which my bear made an appearance as well at the close of the conference where I don't know about you all, but woo, I was wiped at that point during that picture. <laughs> I think we all were. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> How did we all meet? The expression of the, the, what the, whoever asked the question, whatever they saw that photo was complete exhaustion. <laughs> we had no choice but to look like comfortable because we were just too exactly. tired to be any other way. No, I mean, we are, well, we've been friends a while. So we, you know, there's that. I mean, it wasn't the first time meeting them. Like we've met several times. I met Larry because I read his book Mm -hmm. and then I, I just coincidentally, I read his book, which I loved and related a lot to. And then I looked on the back and it said where he lived. And coincidentally, I happened to be visiting that city. And I was like, hello, random person who doesn't know me but I read your book and I live and I'm visiting close to your house would you like to meet and he answered back hello random person I can't I'm in Israel right now maybe some other time and then then through that we just started communicating he came and spoke at the conference and then we met we did meet up and have conversations and it was wonderful and amazing and if anyone's met Larry you'll know it's super easy to feel comfortable around Mm -hmm. him in like two seconds so uh, Adrian, I don't know. Where I actually, we, I actually have a story conference? around meeting you. Um, and I don't know that you, I didn't introduce myself to you because it was the your first, well, my first conference. And I got the dates confused because uh, somebody was asking me like the different ones. And I always think the first conference I went to was 2019, but I think it was 2020 because it was right before the pandemic. But anyway, long story short, this is kind of a funny story that I don't know that you know yet. Know. Um, so I don't even know how I ended up finding the conference. One of my parts registered for the thing, like found this resource, had no idea where I was ending up. And um, I was really upset because I was supposed to be in one of those initial, I don't know, that was it like the or like chat and choose or something you actually at that time had to get a different you had to yeah. register for it specifically, the specific thing. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. internally, I was like, I flew all the way here. It's off to a terrible start. I'm supposed to be in this thing. I can't get in there. And of course, because I do have a part that's like, are you not listening to me? Like, I'm supposed to be in there. Like, you're not going to tell me that <laughs> I can't be in there. But this very nice person like sat down next to me and they introduced themselves and they were they were like, let me see if we can find Jamie. But you were having to do like a meeting. So you did come out and you said, hi, I'm Jamie. Like, we'll talk in a little bit. And then I ended up like walking away. But that was our first interaction. <laughs> I did not have any more further conversation. I was like, I just have to get through this weekend. And that was actually the year, whatever year you spoke and did your presentation. That was 2020. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So that was the one. So then I'm sitting there like listening to you and I'm like, oh my God, she's just like me. Like I'm in the right place. 
Um, and we didn't really talk too much after that. Um, but I think I ended up submitting a proposal and spoke virtually under, you know, um, initials in 2021. And then I think you and I have communicated, you know, via email and it was just sort of a friendship that developed over time. You've always been super respectful and supportive of the work that I'm doing. And I hope that I'm able to do that for an infinite mind as well. And then for Larry, um, I, we actually met at an art workshop at the conference. We were seated. Well, I went to your talk when you had your figures there. And um, then we sat next to each other in an art workshop. And I think I befriended Larry on Instagram and then disappeared for a while um, and then circled back with him in 2021 or two. Um, so yeah, um, but again, just very um, divine connections. I feel like it was just kind of led that way. Um, and that that art workshop was actually a very intense workshop and some stuff came out of there that I didn't even know what was coming out of there. Um, but Larry and I kind of chatted and then, you know, here we are now. <laughs> so that's my answer to the to the question of how we all connected. Larry, what's your take on things? The only thing I can really add, and I've told this story, I think twice now, but was when Jamie first reached out in an email about the conference and do you have experience with DID? I was like, who is this woman and what does she want? And no, I'm not interested. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like, basically how it went. <laughs> that is- I was like, no. And then, um, and then Jamie sent me a link. She said, just watch this video. This is a video that we did. It was early on. I think it was a, a YouTube video. Yeah. And and I watched the video and I was like, these are my people. And I just felt this strong connection. And then Jamie and I had breakfast in the city, in New York City. And I was smitten. I was like, I felt like I had always known her and our conversation was fluid. And I was like, okay, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> and that's still, still kind of how it goes. Like, I kind of think that Jamie's kind of my boss. Um, <laughs> just kind of how, how it goes. And as as many people know, I crashed her honeymoon. So yeah. there's a there's a deep love and connection there that she so <laughs> graciously welcomed me uh, once she realized that I was crashing her honeymoon. <laughs> and Adrian, what can I say? You and me, I mean, there there we are. I mean, I think because he came on my honeymoon, he's technically we're sort of married. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. Jamie's second husband. <laughs> I do I do have a husband, obviously, in my honeymoon. So, but now he crashed it. So now I have to. Yes. I, f- <clears throat> I feel like um, there's going to be a lot of questions post this, and I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to just leave that where it is, especially given what I am struggling with in my own life right now. We're just right? leave that right where it is. <laughs> it was it was totally platonic and 100% arranged between my husband and Larry. I'll just leave yes. it like that. It was just and a all... friend thing. He was living yes. in Portugal, and I was in London for my honeymoon, and he just surprised me, and it was great. And it was great. It happened to be my honeymoon, but, you know, yes. London. <laughs> Adrian, you're right. This this whole conversation is timely in many ways. <laughs> I just can't even. I'm not, I'm not part of the timeliness of them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on to our next question. At least, if anything, thank you for being the bright lights in my own world this week, because it's been, it's, it's been a journey. That's for sure. Um, Any tips for coming to terms with finding out you are part of a system later in life? I know that Mm. that was my experience and I don't know about the two of you, but I mean, that's usually, and I don't want to get all doctory and technical, but I think at the last time I checked the average age of like diagnoses per se is around 38. Um, But I have not looked at that in a while. So, you know, nobody quote me or, or say that I'm, you know, falsifying data. 
I would actually say that I was, I think that I was 36 Mm -hmm. when I started um, my trauma recovery. And I didn't, I didn't name it as that Mm -hmm. then. Um, It was when I was most dissociative. um, Mm -hmm. And I also did not acknowledge that at the time. Mm -hmm. But yes, I, I agree with that age. And, you know, I mean, I'm so curious to hear both of your thoughts about like, is is your mid to late thirties considered sort of late in, in getting, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I hear that that is most survivors that I know mm-hmm. don't start recalling memory until at least then, if not later, mm-hmm. um, at least in my own personal experience. And I, that was certainly for me. I mean, I think that I was like spot on when, you know, 37 years old and really unraveling. Yeah. Well, I've heard different, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Adrian. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna say, well, I've heard different things. I think that I used to be older, like in the thirties. Um, but it was mainly because a lot of people were married and had children and things and they got kind of distracted in their lives. And so I knew for, I did hear a while back that it was because now kids are grown. And so now they can start reflecting on themselves again. And that's when the DID and dissociative starts to pop back up because they're not distracted being a, a newborn mom. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it's getting a little bit younger, just looking at the population that comes to the conference, but also that there's much more awareness mm-hmm. now of DID and people are going to therapy more than they have before. So I also feel like they, it might be a little bit shifting. I was diagnosed at 27. Mm-hmm. So I was on the younger end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, so I don't know if that's considered later in life, but I do know when I was diagnosed, it did make me question my entire life up until that point, because mm-hmm. now... Mm-hmm. I'm a system of people. I'm like, so what memories, what really happened? And like everything that I thought was my life up until 27, I had to go back and re-examine mm-hmm. because I was like, wait, was I even there for that event? Mm-hmm. So I really had to learn my life again and felt a little bit like whose life have I been living? Mm-hmm. Like, it was a lot of that. Of my whole life was a sham kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that takes a lot of processing to get used to. It's a, a big diagnosis. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, well, I was told in 2012 and then it, it was reconfirmed in 2018. But similar thing, like I had to really pause and say, oh, my God, what was the life I thought I was living? Um, what was the childhood I thought I had, you know, versus the one I actually had? And it's a lot. It's just a lot to digest, I think, regardless of whatever age you're you're given the diagnosis. Um, I do think, um, again, without having research in front of me, not that research is always the answer, but I do like to give some stats sometimes, but I do think there is increasing awareness. And so I do think we're seeing it diagnosed younger. Um, but you know, I also know people that are are getting diagnosed in their fifties and sixties. So I think it's just more along wherever you are in life, whatever that is for you, it's a hard thing to digest and it takes time and patience. Um, and there's that battle, right, of going back and forth in and out of the denial, which leads us to our next question. How do you combat the denial of the diagnosis? It's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard one, right? But it's so, so many people struggle with it. it, it's, it I actually think this is one of those things that should be listed as a symptom under this ridiculous criteria um, in the in the DSM, right? If we have to have criteria, maybe we, it needs to be reevaluated with the reality of it, right? But one of the hallmark symptoms really is denying that the condition is even there in the first place. Hi, Larry. 
Thanks, Jamie. You do that. And you don't have to answer. You can always say pass. I think it's a good question. I think it's I think it's really important because I mean, I the reason why I paused was because my mind was going a mile a minute because somebody just asked me this exact question in an email. They said, Did you did you question your own memory? Did you question Mm -hmm. your experience? And absolutely. Mm -hmm. And there were, and you know, I don't I don't have to go into any details because you all know, but it's like, there were times that I thought that what I was remembering was absolutely impossible, mm-hmm. that it couldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there with Linda, with my therapist and say, but this isn't possible. And I would see her face and I'd see her look back at me and say, I'm sorry, but it is not mm-hmm. only possible, but it happens. And I remember those, those validating sessions when I would break down because I knew deep down what the truth was. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were times when my anger and, uh, and other angry and, and very sad young parts would rebel and, mm-hmm. and, um, and really want to fight the truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember after quite a few years, I, and this is, this is hard to say out loud, but I'll say it, but there was a moment when I said, okay, I've had enough what if I just told you I made it all up because I had had it and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I felt like I couldn't do it. I felt like I was at the end of my rope. Mm-hmm. And I remember Linda looked at me and she said, our work will still be the same. Mm-hmm. You are still go on. And I just broke down mm-hmm. and I just wept. And that was a big turning point for me. It was, um, it helped me start to slowly accept what happened mm-hmm. to uh, find a way to move forward to find a way to not feel disgusting. I mean, that was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. I think that takes uh, many of us a long time to shed those feelings of self-disgust and shame. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, I think that um, all of those challenges early on, um, you know, those are the some of the darkest moments and the things that are uh, worth fighting through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had a similar experience to you where I would question the, the reality of what I was remembering because it was so horrific. And, um, my husband really played a big role in my reality, like holding me to reality because he would be able to come to me and say, okay, but if you don't have DID, then why did this part come out and tell me this? Why is, you know, this, and like he had, and you both know my husband, but he's a data guy and he has all of the data and I would have never data on me and my parts um, all in his head, by the way, I said that at the conference, like he, it's not like he writes this stuff down, um, you know, but, and he would say, you wouldn't have this symptom here or this or that. And um, I would fight it tooth and nail um, until eventually just reaching a place of acceptance. But I think it takes a long, it can take, it's different for all of us, but I think it can take a long time to get there. And in a lot of ways, I think it should. I I think we should like slow down to breathe and ask ourselves um, how we're doing. And um, I think that's part of the built-in protective mechanism of the diagnosis itself is if we, if we didn't dissociate and we didn't live in denial for all the years that we did, we may not have made it. In fact, I know for certain I wouldn't have. I can't speak for the two of you or any other system out there, but um, you know that's part of the brilliance behind the the condition. I think. Yeah, I don't think I ever denied that I had DID per se because it. After a long journey of misdiagnoses, it was the only one that really made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, 
finally, yes, finally, like this is exactly what I've been telling <laughs> therapists is going on. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it was, I, I denied that I had real DID. I think that was where I was in my acceptance. Like I had like, <laughs> I was a unique case is what I, what I would tell myself. Like I would tell my therapist, like your other clients have the real kind of DID <laughs> And I just have like this unique version of it. Like your other clients probably have those those symptoms and those behaviors, but not me because <laughs> I have a unique DID. And she's like, yeah, okay. But it was basically the same answer that Linda gave you. Like, it doesn't matter if we call it DID, or we call it nothing at all. The treatment's going to be the treatment. Like nothing right. is going to change. Mm-hmm. So it, I didn't really have a hard time with that aspect. And I, I think the hardest part for me as far as the denial was I knew the abuse happened too so that really wasn't a a surprise I didn't know the details of it um but I knew it had happened Mm -hmm. I just don't remember the the details but I think the denial piece for me was the level of effect it had in my life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really believe that I was so strong and that I had overcome this past and it really didn't bother me the way that I, Mm -hmm. people said that it did or it should have, or the DID didn't affect me in the way that my therapist said that it did. Like I was in this denial that I needed as much care and support and healing as I did. Mm -hmm. That was where my denial was. It took me a long time to accept that I really was not as strong and put together and as I like to believe in that I really needed to stop fighting the treatment and accept the treatment Mm -hmm. and stop fighting the diagnosis and accept the diagnosis and just really embrace the reality of my life. I think that was where my denial really was. Mm -hmm. I didn't need therapy. I was laughing earlier because 17 in the background is going, Jamie like knows me. I'm like, oh boy, (laughs) here we go. Um, let's see. How do you cope with and build communication with a part that terrifies you or makes you feel unsafe? Therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a short answer to a long and complicated yeah. one, but those parts are usually your best um, allies. Once you get mm-hmm. to know them, you yeah. know, they it just needs a lot of work with your therapist to build that connection and relationship. I wouldn't yeah. necessarily recommend trying to do it on your own because it could be very adversary. But once you mm-hmm. find the connection, mm-hmm. they actually they, they're usually some of your best parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do want to clarify, I, I do think therapy is really important, but I also know there's a lot of people out there living with DID that may never step foot in a therapist's office and that's their choice. But I do think whether it's books, like one of my favorite ones is Got Parts, like I agree that it shouldn't necessarily be done alone without a support system, but also want to open the door for people that, you know, ones who may choose not to go to therapy for whatever their reasons are, um, you know, that there are resources out there to help you kind of navigate. Um, and if it's not therapy, maybe it's a sponsor of some kind or, or something like that. And I agree the parts that terrify us or that are labeled bad, destructive, um, can be some of our best allies when there's healing. And when you come to understand why that part is there and why it's showing up the way that it is and coming alongside it with some curiosity and understanding versus um, allowing it to, I mean, there's going to be times you feel terrified for sure, but 
versus just allowing it to kind of scare you, like getting the support, utilizing resources, or even asking others how they have navigated, I think is important too. Larry, did you have any more thoughts on that? I did, because what I'm hearing in the question and what I sort of took away from what both of you said, and this has come up for me and as a question many, many times, it's like, you know, okay, what do you do with the part that is so full of rage? So, so there you have it. It's like that sort of part that is so full of anger and it's, you know, adversarial and you're concerned. And, and I, I really honor what you said about people who don't step foot into therapist's office, because, you know, for me and some of the, the feedback that has come back, it's like, you know, art can be an incredible way mm-hmm. to really, um, identify those parts and, and form a relationship and a bond. And like Jamie said, you know, become best allies. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm a big proponent to get your rage out onto paper or a canvas or burn or bury or mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. because that's, that has worked for me in ways that I, that I still find so profoundly amazing mm-hmm. and yeah, I love that. I'm glad you're bringing up the the healthy outlet of rage. Actually, I mentioned this and I can't remember if it was during the keynote or the talk with Tom, my husband, um, on the second day, but somebody had asked me, like, how do I help Blaine be 13? How do I help that part navigate those those feelings of rage and anger? And actually, I have an appointment tomorrow for her at the Simply Smashing Rage Release Room. I don't know if either one of you have ever been to one of those, but it's yeah. safe. It's safe. It's contained. And it's a way to put on music that's angry and expressive and break a bunch of stuff in a very safe environment. And it's safe for me. It's safe for that part and a way to work through and process, you know, any, any difficult, overwhelming, rageful and angry feelings that are there as a result of, you know, feeling a mistrust or a betrayal. Um, and so I, I think sometimes people get scared of anger, but I do believe Larry, just like you're saying there, there are outlets, safe outlets, art, music, those kinds of things that can really help support those parts. And each system is going to be so different. Each part of a system is going to need different things. I feel like I should, um, I feel like I have a confessional coming right now. So I'm just going to say it. I've hesitated, but I'm just going to say it because it just happened to me last week where um, the rage part totally emerged and I was alone in my studio and I, I do this thing where I look around the room for the thing that I can grab. And in this case, it was an old uh, laptop and I threw the laptop down repeatedly over and over and over again in my studio onto the floor until it was destroyed into hundreds of pieces. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I will say is that I probably should have worn goggles, but (laughs) I didn't. And ultimately it worked out in the end, but I cannot tell you the shift in my body, Mm -hmm. uh, the shift in my entire being, Mm-hmm. Uh, once those 20 minutes were finished and I got to see the wreckage of what I had done and uh, felt um, changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that. Cause I think that's helpful. I really do. I really I think, think it's those are the moments that I don't share so much because, mm-hmm. but those are the things that people are coming back at me saying, can you please tell us, can you please tell us the, mm-hmm. tell us what really goes on in your studio. So yeah. to the people are listening and ask me, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And actually I have, uh, Jamie, before I jump to this next question, cause it's specifically for Larry, do you, um, did you have any thoughts on that? Just the granting space for each part to process or feel or whatever that is. 
Yeah, no, I think that's very important. And I'm glad Larry brought it up because I think it's important for people to know that no matter where you are on your journey, mm-hmm. it's important to have these outlets and experiences because you're still a human being, DID or not, with different emotions and feelings. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't smash things. But when my rage comes, I usually go to the gym and I'll either run super hard on the treadmill or I'll do the punching bag at the gym for a little while. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really important to have an mm-hmm. outlet somewhere. Yeah. And I love that example too. For, for outlet. Um, this question's for you, Larry. What does the creative process look like for you when you're starting a new piece of artwork? Oh, um, <laughs> that's uh, that's so interesting um, because it really depends um, on what I decide in the moment to do. You know, I do collage as one thing, and then I make those uh, those figures. Uh, that's really a powerful thing that I put my work into, and then I do some some of the darker, um, the darker stuff that I only recently started to show on Instagram. I, I didn't want to show those things, but I was asked at the conference to start showing sort of the, I'm going to use a curse word from it, the real shit, the real gritty mm-hmm. stuff. So I started slowly doing that, but I think that, uh, I sit quietly usually, mm-hmm. um, for a few minutes and see what comes up, see, um, whose voice is the loudest and mm-hmm. what they're to do. But I think that sometimes if I'm stuck, and this is an important thing because I know people really get stuck on this. Since I do do collage, sometimes I'll just stick, I'll just start with a whole stack of paper and just cut out eyeballs for Mm -hmm. an hour um, until some other thing becomes clear. But, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm dealing with some specifics around uh, my parents or my mother, or, you know, I'm, usually the answer comes and I, and I just trust that sort of inner voice to lead me in to one thing. And I, I will say that almost never the first thing I do becomes the, the art thing. Mm-hmm. It usually evolves and changes and, and gets, you know, whatever ripped, mm-hmm. burned, whatever has to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> okay. I apologize. Do you guys hear beeping in the background? No. Okay. Well, it's a good thing you don't. I put a shepherd's pie in the oven for my husband for St. Patrick's Day, and I hear it beeping, and I sent him a text to please turn off the oven, but keeping it real on Braving the Way. Um, He loves when the OCD part's around. Everything is organized, and he gets freshly made meals, so it's always good when when that part comes out to cope with the insanity that sometimes is living with more than one part of one's self. (laughs) Um, what's your experience with having littles in your system like as an adult? What's your experience of having littles? Littles in your system. system. Yeah, like as an adult. When you're an adult. Mm -hmm. What's it like being an adult human being with littles in your brain? Yeah. Got it. Uh, It's fun. (laughs) No, I think it's fun. Like, I think it helps you see the world in very unique and fun and interesting ways. It reminds you to be a kid sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get to have an excuse for having gummy bears and ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Now that they're in their space of therapy now in our journey of healing, that they're not so triggered all the time and they're not mm-hmm. so scared all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was challenging. But now mm-hmm. that we've worked through that, it is just kind of, for me, it's kind of fun. It's, it's nice to see the world through the eyes of a child sometimes. I would agree with that statement right there. It's nice to see the world through the eyes of a child sometimes. Truth. How about for you, Larry? 
This is tough. I have to say that I had feelings of envy as Jamie was talking because mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'm, I haven't had that so much. I really struggle with the, mm -hmm. with the young, you know, I, when I first did some weekends of recovery for male survivors, it's like anytime it came to the, the play part, mm -hmm. you know, like the, the young sort of play and like movement or any sort of games, I shut down. Mm -hmm. And I will say that I still struggle. It's like, I, I really want to sort of befriend the, but I just, uh, maybe it's very possible that, that, that the youngest parts um, come out in my creative process. Mm -hmm. I could see that as we're talking and I was listening to Jamie, I could see mm -hmm. that that could be where it, that resides mm -hmm. um, in a Good way. And that, of course, now as I'm talking about, it, I'm like, of course, Larry, of course, that's exactly who shows up many times. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I'm, I've just shifted completely in this two second conversation. Well, and, yeah. and you do enjoy going to Universal. I do. Going I on do. The rides. There are, there are certain things. And, you know, I think that um, there are, there are certain people that it's easier to be that, that younger part with Jamie, mm -hmm. you know, you both have seen that sort of goofy side of me. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I'm smiling. Cause I just, I mean, I love all parts of you, but <laughs> we had some, some great laughs at the conference during some very challenging, difficult pre post yes. sessions. And, um, so, yeah. And I would say for me, I think it can be joy. For me personally, it's both joyful and challenging. There are times where it's very lovely to see the eyes through the world, through the eyes of a child with the rainbow stuff and the butterflies and the chalk art and all of that, or the coloring and the Care Bears. Um, and then there are times where it's um, challenging because there are still younger parts of me that get absolutely terrified. And there's definitely been feelings of terror in this last week that have not been fun to manage and navigate with the littles. I did, however, when I got home from the conference, I was in the grocery store actually picking up cleaning supplies because I, in full transparency, was too lazy to drive a little further to wherever, like Target or <laughs> Walmart. And um was just picking up some things and saw a squish mallow and it was, there was one left and it was a bee. And I was like, and the name was Sunny. And I was like, that's it. It's coming home for the littles. We haven't gotten the littles anything <laughs> since the conference and we're exhausted. And, um, you know, there are times it can be fun, um, but other times challenging. I think that's the, that's the reality of life with DID. I have a bee squish mallow too. You do? Is yours name Sunny? Does it have a little crown on the top? Cause mine's like a queen bee. No, she doesn't have a crown on top. Okay. I don't know if it has a name. I've never looked at the tag. Does it on? Does it say it somewhere on there? Yeah, it says it right on the tag. I always okay, like I'll to know the names. <laughs> I'll look at the tag later and let you know. It's in the other room. Bye. Okay. And I open the door. All the cats are going to come in, and it'll be a whole thing. But <laughs> I have to go look. I don't know. I don't know Got why it. it has a name. But I do have a Squishmallow bee that um, someone from the conference sent to me, and I love it so much. How cute. Yeah, and I think, you know, being an adult that, you know, when those littles come forward, I, I do think it can be challenging and scary at times, depending on where you are. Like, I'll use the metaphor where if there's a big amnestic episode and there's a switch, like, the last thing you want to do is be out somewhere and switch into being whatever it is, three, four, five, six, um, and not be able to figure out where you are or get home. And, you know, yeah, maybe that happens a lot in the beginning of the the healing journey, but um, I would be lying to say that 
that still happens today. So Larry, just to uh, also empathy and validate, like when you were talking about how, when you have that experience, it kind of shakes you a little, like that is the reality of, of life with DID because when stress is high, switching occurs more often. And I've realized too, and I don't know if either one of you agree with this. I think switching also occurs when there's a level of excitement. I mean, it's both, it's the adrenaline in the, in the body mm-hmm. and fear and excitement feel the same. So all this stuff about like, Oh, just keep stress low. Switching only happens when it's low. I call bullshit to all of that. You know, because I I think it does happen when there's an overwhelm of emotion, whether that's a positive emotion or a harder emotion to manage. I would agree. Yeah. Um, All right. I think this is a good, um, I mean, we'll close with some other things, but I think this is a powerful question. What do you all, so all three of us, wish for your futures? Oh, Jamie, you start. (laughs) I don't think that's fair because I'm in a different space, I think, than the two of you are challenging going through right now. But I am where I wish to be. And I say Mm. that very blessed and very acknowledging that my privilege helps me to be here. You know, I I am privileged not only being a white woman. Well, woman's not really a privilege these days, but being white, I guess. But financially so in that, you know, I was able to get and afford the, the treatment and help that I needed. So I would say that I, I I am where I want to be. I feel fairly good in my healing journey. I'm, I am with a loving and amazing husband. I have a great support network and wonderful friends. I am doing the job that I absolutely love and have wanted to do forever. And I like, I, when I first, I'm in a school system and now I'm a district coach. And when I knew there was such a thing as district coaches, I was like, that's what I want to do. And now it's like 20 years ago. And I never took my eye off that prize. Um, but people die or retire from that position and finally somebody retired. And so, um, you know, I, I am doing everything that I wish I could do. The organization, of course, is my love and Mm -hmm. I am, it's become more than I even envisioned it being. So it's beyond my wildest dreams of what we're accomplishing with the organization. So I just feel very fortunate in that. And I know I'm not the norm for a lot of people. And I, I, I don't have much, you know, on that side to mm-hmm. offer because I know right now I'm in a really, really great place with everything. And mm-hmm. that's not the situation for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You want to go next? You want me to go next? <laughs> you repeat the question again. Yeah. Just what do you hope for, for your future? Can you go next? <laughs> yes, I can. And if you're, and if you don't want to answer that, you don't have to. I'll, I'll answer. I just need to sit with it for a minute. Okay. I would say, I mean, I, was thinking about this the other day because I think anytime there's a challenge, I like take a step back and I'm like, can I do this? Will I continue to do this? And I'm and I'm not just talking about like my advocacy and all that. It's more of where am I right now? Because I got a big curveball and I wasn't, there's no way I could have seen this one coming. And um, you know, I am a person who does not give up. I'm very, you know, I persevere through most things. Um, and this wasn't something that necessarily, I think the outcome of whatever is going to come actually is going to guide my future to be even brighter than it all already is. And I feel super blessed for where I am in my life, despite the challenge, because I think we're fooling ourselves when we think there are going to be no challenges. And so I really learned in my own healing process to welcome the challenges as a greater opportunity for either 
even further growth, deeper connection um, with my spouse, myself, my parts, and my spirituality. So I'm excited for where my future is going. I'm trying to get a little better at sitting with the uncertainty and being in uncharted waters, both personally, professionally, and in the healing journey. And I also have had resources that I know that many do not have. And so I feel very blessed for that, because I know that's not everybody's circumstances. And um, I don't have this vision for like a perfect future. I do know um, that I'm slowly phasing out of traditional mental health. And I never thought I would ever say that. I mean, I've devoted my entire career to um, to mental health and it's going to look different. And I want to um, do more soul aligned work through peer support, mentorship, and get some programs off the ground. And um, I really love entrepreneurship. And eventually... <laughs> Honestly, I would like to, I don't know how how long I'll do this work. Um, I mean, I'll always be a voice of some kind, but I think ultimately for me, I would I would like to retire fairly young um, and um, get a, a cabin in the woods somewhere and, and build that kind of future with my husband, with like animals um, in a warm, welcoming community, um, because I feel like I deserve that. I didn't have, I mean, I've been working. I know this sounds, this is hard for people to understand, but because I am a trafficking survivor, I've quote unquote been working since I was about four um, and I'm tired. Um it's overwhelming and um, I have a big heart and a lot of love. And sometimes my empathic heart uh, burns me out. Um, and so, you know, energetically, um, I'm not sure how many years I'll, I'll continue to do this type of work. All I know is right now I'm enjoying it with my whole heart and soul. And we'll we'll see. I do think my future is bright. Um, I think it's brighter right now than it ever has been. Um, and I just have to hold on to hope hope and faith. And, um, I know eventually I'll be in the woods in a cabin with a horse and, um, alongside my loving husband who I would not be alive today without him. That's for sure. I think, um, and the reason why I was sitting with it is I was thinking specifically about the conference and the end of the conference of when I invited people to reach out uh, through a postcard or a note or to stay connected. So I think that for, uh, my future and what I sort of envision is I want to continue. I think that I used to think that um, this whole idea of success, the definition of success. Mm-hmm. So I think I used to believe uh, the, what society tells us that through social media uh, mm-hmm. values and I have shed all of that. And uh, one of the only reasons I stay on Instagram is because of the people and the messages that I get are mm-hmm. so moving. So I think for the future, I really am so eager to deepen my art practice, uh, mm-hmm. to continue doing that, uh, because people are encouraging me to go darker, to show the darker, and mm-hmm. that is giving myself permission. You know, the mm-hmm. people pleasing is shedding, and I'm stepping into the new place of saying, okay, it is time to it's time to do this. And I really feel that the conference, uh, attending the conference, and and these last five years has transformed my life. Mm-hmm. And I really feel that I want to continue to be of service to, um, to other survivors in mm-hmm. any way. And if that means an interaction on Instagram. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what I really see. I'm currently, you know, I, I think some people know this, but I, uh, I never imagined that I would work with another therapist after the loss of Linda. Um, mm-hmm. But I found a therapist who I really, really like in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And we are very specifically working on um, healing some issues around sexuality through art. And mm-hmm. I 
could not be any happier uh, engaging in this work and and seeing where this takes me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I think one of the things I, I didn't mention was my hope is that um, people, one of the hopes I have for the future is that other people are ready to brave the way because I don't, I think this work is tough. I, d- I actually had no clue how exhausting it was going to be because um, I feel very blessed and very fulfilled. So it's not that I, I'm not enjoying the work that I'm doing, but it's impossible for all of us as individuals to do it by ourselves, right? Jamie, that's why you have a whole board of people helping you with an infinite mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought about even doing interns um, and bringing on staff for altercology um, because there's just no way um, to do it, um, you know, by ourselves. And we do need eventually when people feel ready and called because each person has their own journey, but we do need more advocacy and we do need more people braving the way. And my hope is that that continues. And that's why the three of us do what we do. And, you know, that we continue to have that ripple effect um, for people to create futures for themselves and to see that it is possible, that there is support out there. And, um, yeah, I, I concur with what Larry said, like the healing together aspect of the community support is so important. And the fact, Jamie, that you mentioned even earlier, and Larry, you did too, just with the different messages that you're getting, that people are finding their niches in their respective communities, um, or even connecting with people across seas, whatever that is. Um, because my hope for the future is that this stigma um, goes away. Um, I like to be an internal optimist um, and that we continue to shed shed the light and um, the medical field. I hope, you know, it's interesting about calling it a disorder, right? For some, if it wasn't called a disorder, they wouldn't get insurance reimbursement to to reimburse this diagnostic code, if you will, right? So it's a, it's a hard thing, um, right? Because I think all three of us would agree we would love to refer to it as dissociative identities, but in reality, there's still a medical field here. And my hope for the future for all of us would be that the medical field takes a harder look at, at this because they're playing a massive role in the continuation of the stigma, which is not okay. Um, and there needs to be some some bridge between um, the medical field, the people living with it. And I think if all you know, the public the providers um, and people with lived experience can come together in collaborative ways. I think we have an opportunity to create some some change on a massive scale. Uh, but I certainly know I can't undertake that by myself, nor can you, Jamie, or you, Larry. So Right. And well, that's a good point, too. If we're looking at hope outside of my own personal existence, that is my hope for this community is right. that the stigma goes as much away as it can. Right. And that really that mental health starts to look starts being included in just health. You know, your brain is an organ, just like your heart is an organ and your Mm -hmm. kidney and your liver. So I don't understand why it's a whole different category of, of thought and stigma. And no one says, Oh my gosh, you have kidney disease. Like it's so silly. So my hope really is that for the future of this Mm -hmm. community is that DID, Mm -hmm. the stigma around it is lessened and around mental health in general is lessened and that the ability for more people to get care in the mental health area, Mm -hmm. because it shouldn't be only for the wealthy or only for the privileged to have insurance that actually covers it to begin with. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's silly. I, mm-hmm. And I think that is my hope, which mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a big hope, but it is a hope that we can get better care for people in this community. Okay. Yep. The other thing on a, on a, you know, on a human level too, and I know you've both heard this as well, but I think that, um, one of the most important things is that there are so many people who feel completely isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's what really hits me the hardest about Mm -hmm. work and about the conference and about how people reach out is that there are so many people who feel isolated, Mm -hmm. who feel that they're only one and feel that they um, don't have hope. Mm -hmm. So 
that's what really gets me. That's what keeps me committed to this work. That's mm-hmm. what will keep me flying back to Orlando from Portugal or from mm-hmm. wherever I am mm-hmm. um, every year because it's like if you can just reach one person, it doesn't doesn't have to be mm-hmm. volumes. If you can just reach one person who feels like they're alone and just say, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I get it. Mm-hmm. And here's here's what my experience was. So yeah, I find it deeply moving and uh and to use the term, you know, I know we refer to ourselves, but you know, just that is enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Closing question. What is a message of, I mean, because we talked some light stuff, we talked some heavier stuff, right. About the realities. What is a message for the listeners just from, from your own hearts, just things you want to say. <laughs> you, you know it's it's you people are hearing quiet it's just because we're deep in thought like how you know summing up this message I want to I mean in short I would say there's a lot I want to say but I think in short I would say that it's a really hard journey mm-hmm. but it's a really worth it journey mm-hmm. in that it's hard. I, I'm not even going to say that it isn't. It's so hard, mm-hmm. especially the trauma processing pieces and, and going through that. It's a really hard journey to get to a space where you're feeling somewhat healed and somewhat in a positive space. Mm-hmm. But from someone who's now been through that and I'm on the other side, I never, I remember earlier on in my therapy thinking that there's no way that there is a life worth going through this. Like I'm good the way I am. Like I'm tapping out. Um, I just never perceived how much healthier my life would be going Mm -hmm. through this journey. And so I think my message is, it's hard work, but it's worth the work and not Mm -hmm. to give up and keep, keep at it. Keep mm-hmm. at it until you find what works. If the therapist you're seeing isn't the right one, we'll f- find another one. If mm-hmm. you don't have a therapist, you need to find other outlets and find them, but don't, don't give up. It's worth it. It, mm-hmm. it, it is worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I concur with that. I would, I would say, and um, there was a early on when I was really, really struggling with the trauma recovery part, like Jamie mentioned uh, there was a moment when Linda said to me, this is about giving up all hope of a better past. And that was a game changer for me because it really sort of allowed me to settle into acceptance mm-hmm. and to start to say, okay, I can't change what happened. Mm-hmm. How can I start to uh, feel alive? How can I start to look to the future? How can I you know, wake up the next day without a feeling of dread immediately? And that's where mm-hmm. the real the real shift started to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I think that it's uh, you know, the days that we can find joy in our day mm-hmm. is an amazing day. And mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't always happen for everyone every day, mm-hmm. but it's like if we can focus on those days uh, that we feel some joy, mm-hmm. um, that's a, that's a great step forward. And yeah. of course, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, you know, go create something, rip mm-hmm. it up, burn it, do whatever you want. <laughs> Um, you know, and uh, find your individual way of uh, of what resonates to heal. Yeah, I love that. So powerful. And I think I would say my message of hope is also to know that you're not alone, that there are so many of us out there living with this condition, whether we are public about it or not. 
and to find your people. And um, because when you do find them, it it supports the healing process in a way that I feel is indescribable. And, um, you know, I, I feel that way about the conference and what an infinite mind has created. Um, I feel that way every time I check in with Larry about something, um, you know, there's, there's help, there's hope, there's resources. I understand that sometimes they're hard to access. And I agree, Jamie, that it's worth the work. Um, and it's worth hanging on there in, in there during those, those harder times, because we are human beings, whether we live with DID or not, life will always ebb and flow. Um, and it's what we do with our healing, um, that makes all the difference as well as the support in the community around us. So thank you so much, both of you. Um, I feel like I would just love to leave the mic on and just talk all day, every day. Um, (laughs) I love spending time with the two of you. Thank you for being a bright light in this world for others and for the incredible work that you both do Larry with your art and Jamie with your advocacy and Larry with your advocacy too. um, incredible human beings. Thanks for coming back on braving the way. Um, and I have a feeling you're probably going to come back on again. I don't know what season three (laughs) looks like, um, you know, but there's always a space for you here. Any messages you ever want to share with the community? Because I know they're also super grateful to um, have the opportunity to hear what you have to say. Thank you so much. Ditto ditto to you too, Adrienne. You're doing a lot of great work. So we're just thankful to have you part of this community. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, thanks again, you guys. If you enjoyed the show today and think it might help somebody else, please share it and continue the mission of spreading hope, love, and inspiration. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. My biggest hope is that you do something loving and kind for yourself today and every day to support your own mental health. Brave on, friends. Until next time.